If you are visiting with us this morning, we've been going through a series here for our Christmas Advent season, looking at how Christ is the prophet uh, who is prophesied to come. He's a priest who would give his life once for all. And today, this morning, we look at Christ as the king who was promised and who would bring his kingdom. And you can see the scriptures that we're going to utilize there for you in the bulletin. As we get started, I want to mention uh, how important names are. We're going to look at the names that are given to Christ as our king in scripture this morning. Names are important. Uh, Sometimes names can be humorous. The British Navy uh, had commissioned a naval vessel that cost them almost $300 million to make. And they thought it'd be real exciting to say, hey, you know what? We are going to allow the people of the internet to name this vessel. Really smart move. And they said, you know, maybe they'll call it the, the Great Excursion or New Horizons or Adventure or, you know, something cool like that. It was going to do scientific research up around the North Pole. It was one of those uh, big icebreaker ships that could go in really far to the ice and uh, do all these sonar readings under the water. And the name that won, which is my favorite to this day, is Bodie McBoatface. That became, uh, it was nominated, and then it just soared, and no other name came close, and they named that scientific research vessel Bodie McBoatface. They let it last, I think, for about a year, and then they finally named it something new. I don't care what it was, the prior name was better than that one. In Slovakia, they had built a new kind of -of state-of-the-art walking bridge, and again, they gave the authority to the public to name the bridge, and they named it the Chuck Norris I thought that was pretty fantastic. Or there's, there's more serious names that come along way back, hundreds of years ago. Um, even before they started kind of using last names, they started realizing that because the population was growing, they needed to be more specific. And so they started to add more names to people's names. And so sometimes you would be named because of where you lived. So there would be the uphills, and the uphills lived up the hill. Uh, sometimes your last name might be Ford, and the Fords often lived at the uh, intersection of two rivers, okay? So sometimes it was by location. Sometimes it was a name given to you because of your vocation, what you did uh, for a job. So it might be Smith, you were a blacksmith, something like that. It might be uh, Baker, because you were a baker. It might be a thousand different things, but it usually it had to do something with your vocation as well. Or sometimes it was a personal quality. So if your last name was Merriman, I knew a Merriman in uh, high school, and uh, he was not like this, but usually you got the name Merriman because you were a joyful person, a very upbeat, enthusiastic. Or sometimes you had the name of Tallman, because you were tall. Takes a lot of imagination right there. Uh, But names mean something. Now, when you get to Scripture, it becomes a lot more serious. Uh, The Scripture, when you hear a name, it tends to convey something about someone's character, or for God's purpose in their lives. And so think of the name that was given to to Abram. God calls him Abraham. And the meaning of that name that God gives to him is that he will be a father of many nations. The name conveys something about Abraham's purpose. Or also there's the name of Jacob that became very famous. Uh, And Jake was one who wrestled with God. That described his character really well. Uh, So from all the way to Bodie McBoatface to Jacob. Uh, Names mean something. 
And we're going to see this morning that it's very important for Scripture to convey to you and I the names of the king who will come, the kingdom that that king brings, and then last, the wonderful joy of his arrival. Uh, So let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. It's going to come from a few sections in Scripture, each of which we'll look at and turn. Isaiah chapter 9, our first one. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then when God is speaking to David in 2 Samuel 7, making covenant promises to him, God says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I shall build a house for my, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So both of those are promises of the king to come. And then we see that the king has arrived in Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Amen. God's word to you this morning, who's given you his word because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would impress upon us that this is not just the coming of any king that we celebrate at Christmas, but the coming of the great king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords who is coming to rescue his people. So Father, help us see his greatness and know his mercy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk this morning about the names that are given to Christ, the name that are given to the king that would come. Again, you see this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. It's kind of like a birth announcement. If you've ever received one of those in the mail or a phone call for someone to say, hey, we're expecting a child is on the way. You can see Isaiah taking a similar tack here. In verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Notice it talks about his kingdom. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And then it says, his name. His name shall be called. And again, remember what we talked about names in the Bible. They are to convey something about the character of the one who is named. Uh, Something about the purpose of the one who is named. And as we walk through these, also notice this. That each name that is given 
answers a need of your heart. Each name that is given answers a need of your heart and mine. You'll notice the first name that is given for this king, and it's Wonderful Counselor. If you read it literally, it's Counselor of Wonders. And we're not talking about a counselor like we have nowadays that's, that's licensed and, and meets with you. This is the counselor of someone who would advise the king, who would come and advise and say, you should do this or you should do that. And one of the things that this king will come and do is he will be a counselor and advisor to you of wonders. He will point your heart to what's truly wonderful. Uh, we're so captured many times by things that we think are wonderful but aren't really that wonderful. And he will be the one to come and advise his people, this is what's truly wonderful. The glory of my Father. And I will reconcile you back to him. But one of the first names that's given to him is that he is our wonderful counselor. And if you look to him by faith, he's your wonderful counselor. The next name that's given to him you can see is Mighty God. It's not necessarily the first thing that you would think as you see Jesus lying in the manger, but the language of mighty was the language of war. Uh, the language of a warrior, actually, you saw this in our call to worship, who is this king who comes in, the Lord, mighty in battle. So this child who is in the manger is fully human. But he is also mighty God. And the reason that's good news that he has that name is because all of us are fighting a battle that we will never win on our own. There's no way that we have the wisdom or the strength to fight against our sin, our own rebellion. We can't change our own hearts. We can't conquer the rebellion of our own hearts. We can't conquer death. It's our biggest enemy. And the child in the manger says, my name is Mighty God. I am coming to conquer sin through the cross. And I am coming to wage war and conquer death through the resurrection. That little child in the manger on Christmas morning is not only a wonderful counselor, but he is a mighty God. And if you have faith in him, he is your mighty God who has fought and continues to fight your battles. So not just wonderful counselor and mighty God, you can see their everlasting father. This is the one for me that was always so confusing. I mean, there's God the father and then there's Jesus. How can you call Jesus the king, the everlasting father? I'm glad there's people in this world that know more than me about uh, Hebrew culture and things like that. But in the ancient Near East, people often referred to their king as a father. If they were a good king. If they were a king who not only ruled with authority, but also like, like an ideal father, ruled with mercy and grace and compassion. And Isaiah is saying when this child is given, when this king comes, the name that will be given to him is everlasting father. He's ruled from everlasting. He will reign to everlasting. And he reigns with the perfect heart of his own father. And he gives that reign and rule to us if we look to him by faith. The child that comes, his name will be given, and that name will be given, or that name is Everlasting Father. And then the last one. 
kind of the climax of all of them. Not only wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, but just take a moment to just relish this name. Prince of Peace. Our sin made it so we deserve nothing but peace. We deserved wrath and justice. But this king doesn't desire to show that to us in his first coming. He desires mercy and peace. He is a prince who has royalty and authority. And by that royalty and authority, he is going to use it to give his life to make peace with you and God. He's coming to be the prince of peace. Not only is he a peaceful prince, but he's coming to make peace with you as well. Every single one of those names answers your need. So this morning the question is, is he your king? Are those names good for you? Are you looking to him to be your wonderful counselor? Are you looking to him to be the mighty God that you so desperately need? Are you looking to him to be your everlasting father, the king who reigns with the heart of his heavenly father? And is he your prince of peace? Christmas again is that season where God offers him to you as a gift and says, I want you to receive this. His names are great. Not only did God promise that king would come and give him those kind of names, that he also promised that his kingdom would come. This is a promise that you see in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7. You'll notice that God is talking to David and he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Well, we want to know, well, what kind of kingdom will it be? What will characterize that kingdom? We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But let me step back to help put that kingdom in perspective. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Hillary Allen. Uh, she is what you call, I just found out that this sport exists, a sky runner. And what a sky runner does is they run ultra marathons, extremely long distances, straight up a mountain, usually on average at a 30% incline. Very steep. These are the elite of the elite athletes in the world, and they do it all over the world on some of the biggest, steepest mountains. And in 2017, she was running in the championship race up a mountain in Norway above the Arctic Circle. And as she's running on this ridgeline, she sees a photographer, and her nickname is Smiley, because even when she runs up those steep mountains and is just so exhausted, she's still smiling. And the photographer looks at her and he says, hey, when you round this corner, look at the camera and give me a smile, all right? And so she looks at him, gives him a smile, but because she's paying attention to the photographer, she slips and falls 150 feet. The first 50 feet were straight down and then she bounced the other 100 feet. Everyone thought there was no way that she would live. And there was hardly any way for anyone else to get down to her. It was so far down. 14 bones broken. L4 and L5 uh, vertebrae in her back, broken. Five ribs, broken. One man saw it all happen and risked his own life to go down and try to rescue her. It just so happened that he was also trained in mountain rescue. And believe it or not, 
They got her off the mountain. And the doctors all said, listen, we just want to be up front with you. 14 bones broken, L4, L5, basically gone. There's no way you're ever going to run again. Well, she won the championship last year. Fully restored. But nobody thought she would ever run again. The question that she asked, the young man who came and ran down to get her, she could barely speak, but she looked at him and said, am I okay? And he said, no, you are not okay, but we're going to get you out of here. And I use that story to give somewhat of a, of a semblance for us to grasp that Scripture conveys this reality in Genesis chapter 3, that one of the things that we call it theologically, that when, when Adam ate the fruit was the fall. And when Adam fell, all of us fell with him. And the entire universe fell with him. All of creation, our hearts shattered by sin. The world shattered and broken by sin. And some of us feel that immensely, either internally or when you look at the world around you and say, it's so broken out there and in here. Am I going to be okay? Is there any hope that there will be restoration? Is there any hope that my heart will flourish again, that creation will flourish again? And that's what God is promising David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David, I know everything inside of you and around you is broken and shattered by sin. But my kingdom is coming. Through one of your descendants, I will establish his kingdom and it is coming. And it's fascinating that one of Jesus' first comments in his public ministry was, the kingdom of God is at hand. And here's the way that I've, I've defined and described the kingdom of God throughout my ministry. As you look at what Jesus does in the Gospels, it's the restorative reign of God. That you'll notice that wherever Jesus goes, there's the restoration. First of all, the restoration of a, a relationship back with God through his sacrifice. It's the restoration of creation. People are healed. Things are happening. And he promises one day all things will be made new. The kingdom of God is the restorative reign of God. Breaking into this broken world. So here's all this shatteredness and this brokenness brought upon by the rebellion of sin. And here's this king that's coming saying, I will do something about that. I can restore you. I can reconcile you back to my Father. I can make all things new. And again, as I mentioned this morning, one of the things I love about Hebrews is it says this king, when he comes, and as he reigns on high with the Father, he sits on a throne of authority. This is a king who will reign over every season, circumstance of your life, but it's a throne not only of authority, it's a throne of of mercy. And just as the one guy risked his own life to get down to that woman to help her out, this king will descend off his throne not to risk his life, but a king who will use his authority to give his life for you. That's not only the kind of king that's coming at Christmas, but that's the kind of kingdom that he is bringing to you 
at Christmas. A kingdom that restores all things. As you look at 2 Samuel 7, one of the things that if you know the history of Israel, after this promise is given, they go into exile and there's no king sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. They come back from exile. The temple's rebuilt. There's other different things, but they're still discouraged because Persia is ruling over them and then the Romans are ruling over them and there's no king in Israel and they're wondering, has God given up? Does God notice us anymore? He made all these great promises of a king that would come and his name would be Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He promised that the king's kingdom would be established. It's been centuries. And it just seems like he's given up. It seems like he doesn't care. It seems like he doesn't notice what's going on in my life. Those are things that they were thinking back then. Those are also things that we continue to think now. Maybe you're going through one of those seasons. Does God notice? Does God care? It seems darker than I thought it would be because God promised that his king and his kingdom would come. Here's two things that Christmas teaches us that are important for us to know when it feels so dark and it feels like God's promises aren't coming true. Christmas shows us in between that time of the promises of the king that would come and his kingdom that would come, that in between that time of his promises made and his promises kept, one of the lessons that that teaches to us is that God is always working in ways we don't understand. They're looking around and their circumstances and their perceptions say, I don't know if God is doing anything. I don't know if he cares or notices. And Christmas shows us that God was working all the time in ways we don't necessarily understand or know. And then when he finally shows up in Bethlehem, of all places, in a manger, of all places, Christmas shows you and I that God not only often works in ways that we don't completely understand, but he often works in ways we wouldn't expect. Surely when he comes, he'll come to a palace in a great city. And then Luke announces that king that was promised and given great names, that kingdom that was promised by God that would be established, that restores all things, well, that king has finally come. As we look at Luke chapter 2. To the disillusioned and the discouraged and the disappointed, Christmas says the true king is here. He has arrived. He has come. He can be found in Bethlehem. He can be found in a manger. And you'll notice that one of the things that Luke does here in this passage as we celebrate the king's arrival is that he contrasts, in some ways, Jesus with Caesar Augustus. You'll notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus had the highest position of the land in those days. In fact, his name meant the exalted one. And he was going to use his position in such a way that he could say, watch this, see how far I can make people travel to get to me. And so Joseph and Mary have to travel like many others have. They travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, all because Caesar Augustus demands 
that they travel and be registered. So that's how Caesar in this text is using his position. But Jesus in this text is using his position differently. He uses his position and authority not to demand that his people come to him. He knows we wouldn't because our hearts are so wayward. But this king will use his authority to come to you. And so he travels that distance from heaven to earth to be born in verse 4 in Bethlehem. And you'll notice the kingly language reminding of all the promises in 2 Samuel 7, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Is this the king we've been looking for? Is this the king that was promised to us that would bring the kingdom that was promised? It sure is. Caesar may use his position to tell people to come to him. Jesus will use his position to come to you. He's that kind of king. Well, how were Caesar Augustus, how will he use his power, not only his position, but also his power? Uh, Caesar will use his power to issue a decree that they should be registered. Why should they be registered? Well, because Caesar needs taxes. Caesar needs land. Caesar needs people for his army. In other words, Caesar in many ways, is using his power and will use his power to take from the people. And Jesus is different. Jesus is not only the king who uses his position to come to his people, but Jesus will use his power not to take from, but to give to his people. I love the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It's one worthy of just marking down and looking at it and meditating on it over the Christmas season and just for the next year. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, became poor. Born in an insignificant town to insignificant parents from an insignificant tribe, Benjamin. He became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. You see how he's not a king who who takes from, but he's a king who gives to his people? Or Galatians chapter 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, meaning he's going to fulfill it for you. He's actively going to keep the law on your behalf. Born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that he might give to us the adoption as sons. You know what this king ultimately wants to do to you and give to you? Adoption into his family. That you too might become royalty, knowing him and having his God as your own father. Uh, Caesar uses his position that others would travel to him. Jesus uses his position. He travels to you. Caesar uses his power to take from. Jesus will use his power to give to. He's that kind of king. And last is the peace that both of them bring. Caesar Augustus was known for the the Pax Romana, right? But it was a peace gained by war. A peace gained by taking life. Peace could only come if war happened and lives were taken. But remember, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He comes not to give peace by making war and taking lives. 
Jesus is the the king who comes to give peace by giving his life for you. And you actually begin to see that here in this text. Where do we see that? Notice in verse 6. It says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Again, give birth to the king. Then in verse 7, She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger. One of the things that Luke is intentionally doing here that scholars will point out is he's showing how the shadow of Calvary is already looming over Bethlehem at this point. Because similar words are used. Here it says that Mary, when Jesus is is coming to us, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. But at the very end of Luke's gospel, towards the end, it says that they wrapped him in grave clothes and laid his body in a tomb. Do you see how the shadow of Calvary is already looming over Bethlehem? Christmas exists because his purpose was to go to the cross and die for us. That's the kind of king that he is. He's the king that is promised. He was given so many wonderful names. Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor. Those names all answer your need. His kingdom was promised. It's the restorative reign of God breaking in to a broken world. And then the king finally arrived. He uses his power and his position to come to you, to give to you, and more than anything else, to give you the gift of peace. And so as we conclude this morning, how should we respond to this king, this prophet, priest, and king who comes to us? Let me just mention one way, and it's a song that many of us will be singing during this holiday season. Oh, come let us adore him. We have a thousand things going on in our minds. I know I do. I'm frantically trying to make sure I get everything done before Christmas morning. Many of us have a thousand burdens on our heart this morning for a variety of different reasons. But Christmas calls us, all of us together, just to take a moment and pause, whether that's in the morning for you, the afternoon, the evening, whenever it is for you, to find a moment of quiet and, oh, come let us adore Him. The one who has given such precious names. The one who brings such a powerful, merciful kingdom. And the one who gives such deep peace. Oh, come let us adore him. And we let Christ, through his own word, speak to us personally, to speak to you personally and individually. For him to say, I am your mighty God. I came for you at Christmas. I am your Prince of Peace. Come at Christmas. I'm the one who brings to you a restorative kingdom. And I'm the one who gives you peace. And to remember that Jesus isn't just a set of doctrines that we check off, as important as those things are. He's real. He's a person. He's our king. And to take a moment and come and adore him and to pray and say, Jesus, thank you for being my wonderful counselor. Thank you for being my mighty God. 
and winning the battle I could never win on my own. Thank you for being my Prince of Peace and giving me the peace that I could never earn on my own, but that you freely give. Thank you that you're a king that's not like we expected. That you use your position to come to me. That you use your power to give gifts to me. And the gift that you give is peace. In the week ahead, as we come towards Christmas, oh, let us come and adore him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you so love the world that you gave your son. And we thank you also that you gave him names for us to know his heart and to know his purpose. So Father, I pray that you would give us the grace by your spirit to come this week and to adore him as the long-promised the arrived, and now the one ruling and reigning at your hand, the King, our King, in whose name we pray. Amen.